Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is uh, Mike Roth. I'm here today with Dan Nyer, CEO of uh, Nyer Properties. Thanks for joining us today, Dan. Welcome to be here. And uh, before we get started, I'll tell everyone a little bit about what's uh, coming up next week. Next week, we have an interesting show on Thursday. We have Walter Becker of Becker & Beggs. They're a business broker and valuation and finance company. They help uh, small businesses get sold or help buyers find small businesses. Uh, They've been doing it uh, for a lot of years, probably 20 years, and uh, they focus on firms from a half a million to $50 million in value. On Friday, we're going to have one of our good friends, Richard Puzo, uh, the CEO and owner of uh, Sky Eye Weather. His company sells weather forecasting services the people like insurance companies, maybe golf courses, or maybe even a racetrack that's got a race and they want to make sure that it's not going to rain or if they have to do something special for the rain. He's on Friday the uh, 29th. following week, uh, the day after uh, the 4th of July and the 5th of July, we're going to have Jim Semino of Executive Search, and he's going to do an interesting show with me about strategic long-term planning, one of the, uh, the banes of small businesses. And... Jim and I are going to talk about a new process for strategic planning that can be effectively implemented at a reasonable cost. On Friday the 6th, I think we're going to have Richard Flynn, a CPA. He's going to talk about how to save money on taxes. Uh, On the 12th of July, we're going to have Marsha Wade Barrett. She is a person whose business is all around business etiquette. We can go on and on and on, but I'll just give you one other big update. Uh, Jody Schmidt-Gosling, the president of Possible Worldwide Eastern Division, has rescheduled to be on the show on July 26th. That's Thursday, July 26th. That's a no-miss episode. Uh, If you're selling to the federal government or want to do more business with governments, I'm bringing on the show a consultant from uh, Washington, D.C. area, whose last 20 years or 25 years in business has been selling exclusively to government. Uh, His name is Rick Slifer. That's August 2nd. Okay. At Sandler, our networking program for strategic alliances runs next Monday and a week from Monday. Sandler Foundation starts... uh, 
the 27th June. That's an unusual Wednesday class from 9.30 to 11.30. So if you're interested in learning more about Sandler, please give us a call over here at 513-753-9400. Now, Dan has agreed to take calls today so that if you want to call in and ask a question, we'll be screening the calls only during the commercial breaks. The call-in number is 646-595-4916. Okay. Dan, you've been the CEO of your own company since 1995, but you've been in the real estate business how long? All, all my life. All your life. And you look, don't look a day over 21. <laughs> no, I've, how many years is that? I've been in real estate, commercial real estate business, full-time since graduated from Miami University in 1981, so 31-plus years. Yeah. It says here on your fact sheet that your, your your family goes back 100 years in Cincinnati real estate? I am not 100, but my... No, you don't fa- look that old. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, the family real estate business is really from the late 1800s and came over from Germany has been involved in construction and real estate since that, that time period. Okay, and uh, some people might be confused. Here in Cincinnati, we have several businesses in commercial real estate that have the word Nyer in them. How many are there? Well, uh, this week or last week. Things change that rapidly. Things do change, but I'd say there's there's two primary companies, Al Nyer Incorporated and Nyer Properties. I own and run Nyer Properties. Okay, is there there a strategic difference between the two? The the main difference is we focused uh focus continually on real estate investment and real estate redevelopment. Al Meyer Incorporated is primarily a con- contractor uh and that's that's the main difference. They're builders. They're builders. We we use builders, but we really come up with the the visionary aspect of real estate and also have ownership of, we own approximately 4 million square feet of, of space in, in this, this area. So you build and then operate the buildings? Correct. Right. It's all to really obtain long-term value from a, a real estate ownership standpoint. Mm-hmm. And you've been doing that since 95 when you started your company? Correct. Okay. Uh what made you decide that you wanted to be in real estate, or did your dad say, "Dan, you're an liar. You're in real estate." Well, I, I think uh, osmosis. I think when I graduated from from Miami in 1981, people probably don't recall, but it wasn't a, a great time of year, very high interest rates, and I joined at that time the family firm. But uh, even right after graduation, I started on on my off time, if you will, buying existing rundown homes and existing small commercial buildings and would work on those in on nights and weekends. And I saw the impact that it had to the community that I lived in at the time. Uh, so as I improved those properties, it generally improved the the places where I lived and lived in, in uh, Played in, in, if you will. 
Okay, so you, you, in the beginning you did both residential and commercial. Now you do just commercial? Almost exclusively commercial, right, which would involve industrial office and retail projects. So we, we do projects from maybe 30 miles south of the river in Kentucky to about 90 miles north of the river up to Columbus. Actually projects in Columbus? Yes. Okay, interesting. I have office in uh, Columbus, and I just never noticed uh, the Nair signs up there. Not as many signs in Columbus. It's really been more acquisition and redevelopment in Columbus more than in Cincinnati. Okay. Uh, so in the commercial uh, real estate market, w- what is your outlook on uh, possibilities and uh, the marketplace? Are we moving up? Are we moving down? Or are we kind of holding our own level? I think the biggest thing is is real estate is always about change and sometimes about chaos. And when there's change and chaos, there's opportunity. So we, we've we transformed our business from mainly being a developer three, four years ago to mainly being a company that now acquires properties at good locations, at distressed values. And we impart our knowledge and experience and create the value and raise the the up the value of the real estates that we invest in. So uh, from my standpoint, if you have the capital, which we do, if you have the knowledge and experience, which we do, it's a great time to buy, which is what we're doing. Okay, so you're buying. Uh, which only leads me to the question of, really, what's happening over there at the Kenwood Mall with that uh, building that's half complete? Is that going to get taken down, or is someone going to buy it out of the sheriff's auction sale at a bargain? Well, I think probably both. I think it eventually will have to, and we've never been involved in that project, but eventually the banks will foreclose on the property, and at some point someone will purchase the property at a significant discount. And part of the superstructure will have to be removed as much from a marketing standpoint as it is a structural standpoint. We developed the property right across, diagonally across from there where the new FBI building has just been completed. Okay. But that the other project we were not involved with, thankfully. Yeah, you were involved with the FBI building? Yes. Behind the old, uh, I call them Towers of Kenwood? Correct. Right. And we still have parcel for a hotel and a couple office pads in front of the FBI along 71. Okay, it's a great location. Absolutely. The best. One of the best. So you think that whoever buys that existing uh, property will have to remove some of the rusted superstructure? You know, they'll definitely have to remove some of the components that hold the building products to the, the superstructure because the the devices that hold some of the windows and our brick or precast were not designed, are not designed for the amount of moisture that it's obtained. And it will be difficult for, in my opinion anyways, a structural engineer or an architect to sign off on the existing structure with rusted steel. So even if uh, my recommendation from a, a marketing and and structural standpoint, remove some of the steel, even if you put it back up with new, fresh steel. Because there aren't too many people in this town that 
that don't believe it has issues, and it does have issues, the extent of which is is a little uncertain because of the time that's evolved, which is almost four years now when it stopped. Yeah, well, it's not going to get started again anytime soon. I don't believe so. So when it sells a sheriff's auction sale for pennies on the dollar, you might be one of the the bidders, huh? Well, you just never know. You just never know. Time will tell. Don't reveal any secrets. <laughs> uh, in, in the Cincinnati marketplace, with that exception, do you think that the uh, commercial market is going to be coming back? I, I think so. You know, everyone talks about job growth, and you have to have job growth. But if you've seen some of the projects around town, they if you look at what has occurred with a casino, what, what has occurred at the banks, that is tremendous momentum for our town and our region, and has created a, a lot of buzz not just in Cincinnati, but really around the nation. If you look at the World Choir Games, that brings a lot of recognition to Cincinnati, which helps attract companies and young professionals to the area. So I think we have a lot of things going well for us. Mm-hmm. We uh, we should see an influx of a lot of people for the World Choir Games. Are you singing? No. Are you? <laughs> Absolutely not. Yes. Uh it's a shame that we don't have enough international flights to accommodate these people coming in directly. Uh, but that's the case with, uh, uh, beyond our control. Uh, insight, uh, what I've seen it is that the, when people are looking for space in particular areas, there isn't a lot of, in quotation marks, new reasonably priced space. We had a client who was looking for, uh, you know, five, six thousand square foot building, and couldn't find anything in the area that was. I'm going to put quotation marks around the word reasonable. Everything was either run down or be not available. And I think that's what happened in the cycle that we're in when you have the capital is constricted. The buildings that are suffer continue to suffer and suffer more. The and people always have a flight to quality in the times that we're in. So they will move from what would be classified a class C product to a B or go from a B to an A. So the the A product space has been absorbed fairly consistently even during the last three years in the downturn. It's because of the, the flight from B to A. Uh, and the B is, is done okay because the flight has been from C to B. So the, the areas that have problems, it it's not a pretty sight. Yeah, he was talking about one particular building he looked at. Had uh, 22 air conditioning units that hadn't been replaced in over 20 years and he said to me Mike I can't buy the building the maintenance is going to be tremendous the cost of replacing the air conditioning the uh, parking lot hadn't been uh, redone or maintained properly so that needed to be redone Oh, and it needed a new roof too so he was going to be spending between a third and a half of the value of the building on bringing it back to 
what I want to call moving condition? I can believe it. What yeah. I've I've seen over the last twenty five years on commercial space, the the maintenance cost over the last twenty five years has tripled. The effective rent has not really changed. So the and that's one of the reasons we have jumped full steam ahead into sustainable development to reduce the long-term operating cost of facilities. Uh, exactly what do you mean by sustainable development? So, sustainable development, as we use it in the buildings that we have, have developed, is to reduce your dependence on, on the fuel, if you will, and to lower your operating costs so the building looks brand new 10 years from now and doesn't age to the same rate that a typical building would be. And it provides a much better environment for the, the workers who are in, in the space on a daily basis. Good. Dan, we're going to take a, a short commercial break uh, and uh, listen to uh, San Rule number 43. Hello, I'm Ken Edmondson with Sandler Training, and I'm here to talk to you about rule number 43. That rule says you don't win by getting a yes. You learn to win by getting a no. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Here's the reason we say that. Yes is exciting. Yes always motivates us as salespeople. Who doesn't like to get a yes? But there are four reasons that getting a no is probably, in most cases, a better way to learn to sell. Here's no, reason number one. Most likely, you're going to get a lot more no's, right? Most likely, the answer you are getting from your prospect will be a no because that's what they're prepared to do when you come in to meet with them or to talk with them. Their normal knee-jerk reaction is a no. Get ready for it. Be prepared for it. If a no destroys your confidence, uh, causes your day to uh, uh, go negative, then you're not ready uh, for the job at hand. So, number one, expect to know because that's probably what it's going to be. We're going to get a lot more of those. Number two, not only is it always a no, but every time you get a no, you learn something. You get a lesson. A lesson will be, how can I do it better? What can I do uh, that will help me in the next one? Every no that a professional salesperson gets is a valuable experience, a valuable lesson of how to get a yes. Thirdly, if you get a no, it should make you stronger, not weaker. The more you experience this, the stronger you get. Your, your whole psychology to selling gets stronger as you hear no. You realize they're not rejecting me, they're not rejecting my product or service. It's probably a temporary thing, and I need to be better, I need to be uh, prepared for that no. It makes me stronger. Here's probably the best of the four reasons. Every time you get a no, you are closer to getting a yes. Every time you get a no from that prospect, you're closer to getting that prospect to say yes. Every time you get a no from that prospect, you're closer to getting the next prospect to say yes. Try it. You may find that by going for no, you become stronger and you find more yeses. So going for yes isn't the way to win. Going for no will teach you to learn or help you to learn to win much faster. Rule number 43. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Dan Nyer. And again, 
If you want to call in and ask Dan a question, the number will be 646-595-4916. Dan, why don't you tell the folks how they can get a hold of you after the show? It's best to just call our main number, which is 513-563-7555. And usually Nancy will pick up the phone when she's available and direct direct uh, you to me. Good. In our Cincinnati market, commercial real estate, um, besides the banks and the uh, new casino, you're not involved with either one of those, are you, Dan? Uh, no, I'm not, but I have been to the banks and, and uh, had a few liquid libations there. Yeah, Greg uh, Hardman from uh, the Christian Moorline uh, beer house, or lager house, uh, was here as a guest a couple of weeks ago. Great, great place. Go back and listen to his show. Uh, he talks about all these beers that they're brewing. <laughs> it boggles the mind. <laughs> Got to taste them all. Uh, in the Norwood area, the area where they had the two houses that were finally condemned, what are they going to put on that property? They are putting, they're in the process of building out the entire site from an infrastructure place. But what you'll see first to go up will be a courtyard by Marriott Hotel. And I've seen the plans and talked to the, the folks from Jeffrey Anderson, and uh, there's at least two two uh, restaurants that will be going up roughly the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they say other uses beyond that. Are they going to put in some uh, office buildings? They, they have uh, – I've seen a plan that shows an office building tied in with the – the parking structure kind of in, in not in, immediately adjacent to the hotel, but part of the overall campus. Good, good. The area needs uh, more availability. It's a it's a hot area of town. Yes, right, right near one of our projects. Which is? Keystone Park. Which is where? Which is right at I-71 and Dana Avenue. And that, that was and is the... Uh, the largest, the first and largest LEED-certified office campus in a three-state region. Ah. That's where the American so, Red Cross building as well. If you Okay, I know that one. Yes. Right. And uh, some people might not, even today, know what LEEDs mean. LEED is Leadership in Energy Efficient Design. So it it's really ties into sustainable development. So what do you have to do to make an office building like the Red Cross's uh, sustainable. You can't put like uh, 3,000 solar cells on the roof and expect them to work year-round here in Cincinnati. No, but there are, are various items you can do. The American Red Cross that we were involved with from a development standpoint is what's called LEED Gold. And our office building, which is the first building on the campus, is LEED Silver. And our, our space, where our office space is, is LEED Gold. There's various things that, for instance, at the American Red Cross, part of the roof is a vegetated roof. They also have what's called a bioswale that collects the the water that normally would go into the storm sewer system and basically is absorbed with with plants on the outside. And that is actually in, in the, the I-71 right away. But it's high efficiency. It's special glass and lighting. It's it's uh, motion sensor lights, so when you exit a room after a certain time, then the lights 
lights uh, go down. In our office, for example, we have light sensors. So when it's a bright, sunny day that I thought we had around Cincinnati most days, <clears throat> uh, the lights actually dim automatically, so it reduces the, the amount of energy. And But they stay on just get... They, they just get dimmer, right. And the, the biggest impact, and, and I, I live it and breathe it every day, is for most of the, the lead buildings, is the, the, basically the elimination of volatile organic chemicals that are in most construction items and in unless you you try to get rid of those so we're we're all familiar with it called the new car smell sure that's chemical that's all volatile organic chemicals well there's buildings that have basically you smell the paint you smell the typically the mastic and the, the carpet holds the rug down. right a lot of that's a lot of volatile organic chemicals and I, whenever anybody's in my our conference room i always i always do the simple test Breathe in and tell me what you smell. And unless somebody had skyline there, they say, I don't smell anything. I said, exactly the point. The If you eliminate the volatile organic chemicals, people are healthier, they're happier, and production goes up. Do you uh, have better venting for the air heating air conditioning system? So on a, a tempered day when it's 70 degrees outside, uh, your system can bring in enough fresh air, so it, it it's reasonable not to run the compressors. We have what's called economizers, which bring in some of some of that air, and we also have in our building what's called a energy recovery wheel. So when you're typically exhausting a typical home where you you bring in outside air and you to get to condition your space, well, the heat coming out of the the unit on the outside is very hot. Mm-hmm. What we do is we transform that energy that's expelled into an energy source, which reduces the the ultimate need for uh, capacity of energy usage. I'm not, sure, not sure I understand that. I'll have to explain that uh, offline in more detail. Okay, but it seems like in, in a sealed-off modern office building, like the one we're in now, if the heating air conditioning system could be rigged to bring in 50% outside air instead of only 15%, you'd have to cool it on a temperate day a, a hell of a lot less. Yes. And that's, we do utilize, there, there are certain sensors and control systems that will test the moisture content outside, the, the humidity, the temperature, and it will bring in the, the optimum amount of, of the right air to reduce the energy usage. Mm-hmm. And energy usage, uh, are you heating the, or cooling the building with geothermal? We we are not at that that location. We have uh, a very, still a very efficient system. It's water source heat pump system. Now, my home I recently built, which is also LEED certified, we are using geothermal. But geothermal, uh, you need certain parameters for it to be effective. Yeah, we we looked at putting geothermal in our our home about two years ago, and because we're in a hillside, the drilling of the wells became a real issue, and it never got done. Uh, but let's take a a short commercial break. Remember again, if you want to talk to Dan directly and ask a question about uh, commercial real estate, six four six five nine five. 
800-800-4916. Imagine you just left your prospect's office and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real! He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced stainless sales trainer in Cincinnati. I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523. Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger. Or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Dan Nyer. We were talking about uh, energy efficiency in uh, commercial buildings. Dan, in other markets, there have been a lot lot of talk about wind power. We have one or two buildings here in Cincinnati with windmills on the top. Do you think that's really an efficient uh, energy generating source for those buildings? Well, in this market, because I've explored it for my own home, the amount of wind generated on a consistent basis is pretty low as compared to other areas. So it is is the payback is doesn't make sense economically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we seem to be missing an ocean for uh, wind power or maybe a, a high mountain ridge. That's true. Like they have out in San Francisco, uh, which brings us to the uh, photo cells for generating electricity. Um, does that make any sense in this marketplace? Well, uh, I have to admit I have solar power on my home. I have about six kilowatts of solar power. And one of the reasons I did that is I am kind of on on the mountain just across the river in Newport, Kentucky. Uh, That has reduced my energy. It helps that there's a 30% federal tax credit. Um, Putting in... for solar, solar cells, right? You receive 30%. I knew that was on geothermal, but 30% on solar cells. Yes. So where did you put the solar cells on your home? I have the uh, majority on top of my roof. Mm-hmm. And I also have what's called an in-grid, which is a uh, looks like almost like a sculpture, but it, it has solar panels on the, the side yard of, of our property. So it, it is, uh, and you can you can see the net effect of the reduction in in power usage going to the meter. Mm. So when you, you when there are periods when you're generating more electricity than you're using, you sell back the power to Duke? Yes. Now, we haven't gotten to that point yet, but uh, we are close to, uh, on certain days, to generating more power. So in in total, I if you take every hour every day, I'm still being charged by the utility company. But having said that, my utility bills, because of the energy efficiency of the home, geothermal, and the the solar power is, is greatly reduced compared to the typical home. What do you think uh, round numbers it costs you to put the uh, solar cells on your home? 
Usually, uh, in my case, it was also true that the cost per solar cells, which is coming down, is about four to five thousand dollars per kilowatt energy usage mm-hmm. or energy power. So, what they really need to do, and there's a lot of criticism, obviously, and some of them right, rightfully so, on on subsidies on solar power. Uh, they really need to increase, and they're working on different technology. If a technology increase compared to other new industries, I think it will become very viable for a lot of lot of uh, individuals. And I, I'm amazed that you go to Florida and even Arizona, not many people use solar panels, which is the best place to have them. Well, yeah, I, I can see it in Arizona and in Florida where you have a lot of sun. Here we have a lot of shady days. Do you have batteries in the solar cells charge batteries? No. No, they go right to the meter. They go right to the meter? Yes. Okay. That's an interesting scenario. So there's no, on a, on a bright sunny day, you don't get any uh, advantage if you're not at home. Well, it, it will go back into it, Duke. It, it goes and reduces the amount of kilowatt hours hour usage. So it is kind of a, a net meter. So if I normally would use, I don't know, 100 kilowatts, it reduces it by whatever the energy now, is. When you put it in, did you, did you max out the amount of space you had with solar cells? On We don't have much more room on our roof to, to put it. Do they weigh a lot? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. They, okay. They're decent you know, usually the panels are approximately 30 inches by maybe 60 inches. They're a decent size, but there's a lot of different style panels. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Even the old cylinder ones, which are no longer around. What uh, what benefit would it be to put solar panels on a, a larger office building? Well, we have looked, actually, we, we have a, a large warehouse in Sharonville. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about 1.1 million square feet of roof, so it's a big building. We looked at putting up to about a 4-megawatt solar system there where you would enter into what's called a power purchase agreement and sell back the utility usage to the utility company. And uh, there's been some, and you also sell back what's called the RECs or the Renewable Energy Credits to utility companies, which are required to generate a certain percentage of their power with with renewable energy, we we were close, but the the market for renewable energy credits is is more difficult than it used to be. Um, so we we did not. We're still looking into it, but we have not uh, pulled the trigger relative because that's that's really a very large investment. So you have a rooftop. With a million square feet on it, correct. That you could put electricity generating solar cells on. Yes. And if you did it and you sold the power back to Duke, what kind of a return on investment would you get? Well, usually you can use instead of us making the investment because the investment for a four megawatt facility would probably be fifteen, eighteen million dollars. So there's companies that are going around basically selling getting pools of funds together to uh, obtain the the rate of return. So they would actually charge us a set amount rate for kilowatt hour, and the return we would pay to them would be 
uh, to pay the, the debt of the bonds that they would sell to the investors. So the, the typical rate of return under that scenario is about uh, their plan is a seven to nine year payback. Hmm. Not, not terribly long, but not terribly short either. Correct. Now, there are other forms of alternate energy used in other areas of the country. I, I, I've heard of a, a fuel cell that was uh, being used by Google to power several other buildings. Have you followed that at all? I have heard about it. I've read about it, but I really don't know much about it. Okay. Is, uh, when you say you use special glass in your buildings uh, here for, for lead certification, that means you use three-pane glass or two-pane? Well, you... It's usually two pane. Now, the American Red Cross, what we did is you usually in an insulated glass system, you typically have two panes of glass. We have a, a different thickness and usually you use the same thickness glass. In that particular case, we use two different thicknesses for uh, basically thermal and, and noise to reduce any noise because they're right next to the highway. Right. If you go inside that building, you don't hear it any traffic noise, which really? is amazing. And it's just simple things, if you know how to set it up, can reduce whether it's noise. And we also use what's called low-E glass, which reflects the, the sunlight, so the amount of heat coming inside is, is diminished. Mm -hmm. And the uh, lighting in the building is fluorescent-type lighting? Yes. Yeah, there, there's different levels of fluorescent, but you know, fluorescent lighting is is has been upgraded significantly and we have all, all the light poles on the outside are are led uh, oh you went to the led yes low power right. high output lighting correct some of that is really bright it's very bright yes uh, and, and that's that's pretty uh, a pretty attractive alternative but not for the interior lighting there is some LED light. In fact, at my home, I have some interior LED lighting, uh, and some of it actually you can now get in dimmable components. Really dimmable components. Yes, right. So that's come a long way. You know, it only seems like yesterday for for me and you that the big push was from regular bulbs to the the fluorescent. And yeah. Well, we we converted our entire house to the. Uh uh, compact fluorescent bulbs, we were uh, surprised at the dramatic reduction in electrical costs. Of course, the bulbs don't last as long as they claimed. <laughs> I've I've also found that out. Sylvania's lost money on the, uh, on the replacing of the bulbs, but they don't last five years. Right. I, I also got the feeling that they have to be mounted in, in such a way that the heat goes away from the transformer. You can't put them in a tin can in the ceiling. I agree. But are there any other uh, dramatic things that you've done uh, to get lead certification on your buildings? Or are there things that people can do in retrofitting existing buildings to become more energy efficient? Anything you can do to increase the efficiency, the, the biggest component typically is, is the heating, ventilating, air conditioning system. People usually just well if it's working it's working if it's not uh, there's a lot of things in between that you can you can do to improve you can go to multi-stage compressors a lot of 
HVAC units are either... Some people might not understand what multi-stage compressors mean. Multi-stage compressors would would mean when you only need to cool a little, you don't have to run the entire motor uh, full tilt. And you don't don't have to be blasted with cold air. It could come out on on a a smaller. So you're running less of the motor when there's less of a need. And it can basically be the, the... the fan, if you will, the blower can can be a, a multi-stage level. So it's like having a four-speed compressor and a four-speed or variable speed air air handling. Correct. Right. Okay. So, and I think anytime you would consider replacing flooring, repainting, if you would, it would be best to utilize. And, and now, whether it's Home Depot on a personal level or the paint suppliers, they provide options for the very low or no VOC paint and floor coverings. Well, I guess I'm still a little confused. Why would you uh, you bother with low VOC paint or floor coverings since that uh, chemical smell is going to dissipate rather quickly? Well, the facts are, are such that the chemical smell can permeate for years and years with within commercial buildings. Years and years. Yes. Really? Now you people tend to adapt and accept uh and their brain accepts the the volatile chemicals, but the the half life of some chemicals can be quite lengthy. Hmm. I wish I would have known that before I put new carpet in here. <laughs> I can't smell the carpet. I can. You can? Really? I can. I can smell a certain certain odor. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a good sense of smell. Um, and we did did repaint it uh, about six months ago. It looks nice. Thank you. Well, the uh, but I didn't really think about being energy efficient in any other way. Uh, the uh, the only other thing that we did here was uh, changed out the thermostats to uh, programmable thermostats so that when we're not here, we don't have to run any heat or air conditioning. And uh, that seemed to make a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and people, you know, if you look at the, the facts, recycling, I think, is, is an important item. But the, the real fact is that 70% of the energy consumption in the U.S. is due to commercial enterprises, offices, industrial, retail locations. So if you can, any, that's the biggest impact. Recycling on the residential basis is only about 5% of the total waste. Still, industry is, is 90, 95% of, of the waste products. So anything in the industry you can do to reduce waste and reduce energy will have the biggest impact. Yeah, we have one client who does uh, recycling for commercial construction waste. And what he does is he sends out one container for all the waste, and they bring it back to their place, and they have uh, teams that disassemble the waste container into the recyclable components. I guess I should have them on the show sometime. That would be a good idea. Good. We're going to take another short break, and then we'll be uh, right back with Dan Nyer. 
We'll listen to Sailor Rule number 12. Hi, I'm Chip Reichard with Sandler Training. I'm here to talk to you about Sandler Rule Number 12, Answer Every Question with a Question. Have you ever been on a sales call and a prospect asked you a question and the answer that you gave them had you boxed in? You almost wish you didn't give that answer, but now it's too late. From the time we're children, we're, we're programmed that every time our parents ask us a question, we answer their question. Now we're in sales, I'm on a call, I'm in front of a prospect, the prospect asked me a question, so what do I do? I answer the question. What we find is many times prospects ask us questions that may be a smokescreen question. The real question that they want to get at, they're kind of hiding behind that smoked-in question. When we answer that question right out of the gate, we don't get a chance to really understand what the real question is. So what I'm here to talk about is a different approach that we need to be asking ourselves when a prospect asks us a question, do I really understand the underlying intent of that question? And if the answer to that is no, what I need to do is ask a question to the prospect to, to get that understanding on the table. So let me give you an example. You could be on a call, a prospect asks you, well, geez, how much work have you done in our industry? Normal salesperson would answer, well, geez, we've done a lot of work in your industry. In fact, we've done work with such and such and such and such uh, companies, some of the largest in your industry thinking they did a really good job. But then the prospect may come back and say, well, geez, that's my concern. We were hoping to deal with someone that had new ideas because we don't want to follow the herd. We're looking for a competitive advantage. So if we were able to relive that and do it in a different approach, the salesperson, when asked, how much work have you done in our industry, if he didn't understand the underlying intent, may say, great question, why do you ask? whereby the prospect may come back and say, well, geez, we're really looking for a competitive advantage. We don't want to follow the herd. I could respond to that question and saying, well, geez, we take each prospect as a unique opportunity. We uncover their unique uh, goals and objectives and their needs, and we build a specific plan for them. I would not be boxed in with that answer, and I would be addressing the real issue. So that's rule number 12, answer every question with a question. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Dan Nyer, and uh, we've been talking about energy efficiency in commercial buildings. And uh, Dan, I'm going to ask you uh, one of my favorite questions. We've got a thesis here uh, at Sandler Training by Roth and Associates that complex problems are almost never solved by simple solutions. If you have a complex problem, you need a complex solution, and so. I was hoping you could share with our audience a complex problem that you faced in your business and the complex solution you applied to it that was successful and maybe has some applicability in industries beyond uh, commercial real estate. Well, I think every every day there appears to be complex problems when you deal with commercial real estate. Maybe a good example will be in our development that we spoke about briefly before at Keystone Park. That was, as I mentioned earlier, is at the look on Dana Avenue by I-71, mm-hmm. and it involved uh, 47 different properties 
that we had to acquire adjacent to a uh, Cincinnati Park Board land parcel with infrastructure that was public and ODOT controlled and owned properties and we did not have adequate access from I-71 to the property. And we also knew that eminent domain was not the, the right way to, to go. So we, and it's in, in the community of Evanston. So you had ODOT, you had City of Cincinnati, you had Evanston, you had 47 individual property owners, and a multiplicity of different things to be able to pull off the transaction. Uh, so what we, we did in that particular case, uh, we, we worked in the, you had about eight different divisions within the city of Cincinnati you had to work with. We uh, uh, utilized different resources. We engaged a residential broker to work with the individual property owners. We met with people from Ohio Department of Development and had to acquire properties through an auction process. We worked with the city to obtain what was called a job ready sites grant to make improvements along at the exit on I-71. So when you're exiting south, you pull right into our development. We worked with the city of Cincinnati and the architecture department to improve the landscaping and streetscaping from our location down to XU. So it, it's, uh, uh, there were, I, I one time uh, when we worked on the project, I, I identified with our staff 1,200 different steps we had to complete for this project to be successful. 1,200 steps. That's indeed complex. Yes. How long did it take from start to finish? Well, I, I tell people I started this project last century. Wow. Last century being 1999. And in any project, because of those steps, you sometimes are on the surface, sometimes you, you go beneath the surface and lay low for a couple of years, and then you, you come up at the appropriate time. So it's been a project that is 13 years in the making. And it's, uh, but it's a, if I always believe great cities have great real estate. So you you have to strive to improve real estate, especially on the interstates, and that is a great signal to the vitality of Cincinnati. If I wasn't from Cincinnati, I may not have invested the amount of time that, that I have so far in well, the project. I've always had the feeling that the the Romans were right. You have to build the roads, and along the roads is where you're going to get the development. That's correct. And it's been just phenomenal for Westchester, and I'm glad you... Uh, put the time and effort into a project here in the Cincinnati metro, uh, which we certainly need uh, more here in Cincinnati. It's a great uh, location. It's one of America's best-kept secrets. If you're <laughs> listening from another city, don't tell anybody that Cincinnati is a great place to live, work, bring up your family. We want to keep it a secret. Don't tell anybody. But the uh, the building a project uh, with 1,200 steps to, to get it off the ground, that, that took a lot of patience. And I'm not a patient man, but as I've, I've heard before and I agree with the, the phrase, patience 
is uh, painful, but the, the fruit is sweet. Okay, we don't have a lot of time left, Dan, but uh, let me ask you a couple of uh, off-topic, off of real estate. Uh, what, what what are you guys doing in the commercial real estate world for your Internet presence? Well, we have a website. It's it's one that's a numeral one, dot com. So uh, I encourage everybody to go to that. It's It's kind of fun and interactive, and I think you'll enjoy it. Okay. And you probably have a way that they could see what properties you have available. Properties. We're also on, on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Okay. The standard four. Uh, are you actually right now uh, looking for new people to add to your organization, holding steady, or actually reducing uh, headcount? We have uh, we have just added a couple key people in our organization. But our organization during what arguably is the most difficult time in commercial real estate, we're, we're more than double the size from an asset size than we were three years ago. So we will continue oh, that's great. to grow. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of uh, opportunities uh, do you seek now? Or can you talk about them if your next 13-year project? No, I, I think we're, we're going to look for the value-add properties. We've always have, a, have had a strong presence along the interstate highways, and we will continue pursuing those because in, in good times and in bad times, economically, if you have a well-located, highly visible, accessible location, you'll do well, and that's what we'll continue working on. Yep. See our signs. See your signs, and uh, freeway access is an important thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think uh, the fate of the uh, enclosed shopping malls are? Well, I, the uh, the fate of, of the enclosed shopping malls is, if done properly, I think they'll, they'll do well. The challenge with the open-air malls the lifestyle malls, if you will, is the the expense and the exposure and the risk are greater. So I think if it if it's done properly, I think the enclosed malls will still do well. And some of that is climate dependent. I don't know about you, Mike, but uh, the rare times that I do shop, which is usually somewhere between the 20th and 24th of December, mm-hmm. uh, I I like going to a place where I can actually walk in and stay instead of go in and out of the store during those times. Well, you and I probably are looking for efficiency, efficiency in shopping, and will sacrifice uh, some some degree of selection. Yes. To have everything in one place. Correct. As opposed to some others. Well, Dan, uh, any last comments? I enjoyed and appreciate being on on your show. Good. I I enjoyed having you, Dan. I'm going to give you a copy of uh, the Sandler Rules book by David Madsen. This is the 49 Sandler Rules. We heard a couple of them today during the show. This book uh, came out about two years ago. It was number one on Amazon and uh, was number three on the Wall Street Journal bestsellers list. I'm giving you an autographed edition from Dave Madsen. Great. Aren't too many of those. Appreciate it. And uh, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in and uh, remind you that next Thursday we're going to uh, be on with, uh, I think it's Walter Becker, and uh, 
we'll be talking about how to buy and sell businesses. Scott, why don't you take it away? Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.